Welcome to Book Bistro, where book enthusiasts come to chat about the books they love in a warm and supportive environment. Today is Thursday. May 12th, 2022. This is Shannon, and tonight I'm here with Stacy, Kristen, and Georgina. And we are looking ahead. Usually when I say we're looking ahead, we're talking about books coming out, but we are talking about books set in the summer because it's almost summer. And if you live where I do, we're actually having summer weather. So we are talking about all the good things related to summer. So we're going to get started with the usual housekeeping information. Then Kristen will start us off, followed by Stacy, Georgina, and lastly will be me, because Natalia's not here. <laughs> you can find us on Twitter and on Facebook by searching Book Bistro Podcast. You can always post just on the Book Bistro timeline. Some of you have done that. I'm always so happy to see when you've published posts there. You can join our Facebook listener group where you can chat with us as well as with other podcast listeners. You can keep an eye on some of what we're reading. We usually update you each Wednesday with a look at our current reads. If you'd like to get a hold of us and social media is not really your thing, you can email us. That address is the book bistro podcast at gmail.com. So I am starting out tonight with my favorite of my three summer books. And this is probably a little biased of me because I adore Susan Mallory with every ounce of my heart. Um, Susan Mallory can make things better that you didn't even know needed to be better. And she's just so magical. She can take the craziest situation and turn it into this beautiful lesson, this heartfelt thing. And I just do not have the words or the time to gush about Susan Mallory. So I am going to start out with The Summer Getaway by Susan Mallory. And this is a book about Robin. And she has two children. They are adults. Austin is 18 and Harlow is 22. Harlow is a girl. Um, and Robin has been divorced now for four years from her husband, um, cord and <laughs> yeah I found that name to be rather interesting <laughs> um apparently he's a piece of work and he seems like one um he's one that needs something a little stronger than mind your manners but um, um yes so anyway she has been divorced for four years and in the divorce um she got to keep their house until her son was graduated um, from high school. She, and then she had to either buy out her husband or sell it um, 
she could be in it up to six months after her son graduates high school. And her this son has graduated. This? No, the this was the st- the stipulations in the divorce. Oh, okay. Um. So if she wants to keep the house, she has to pay him his half. Oh. Um. If she doesn't, then she has to sell and give him his half. So okay. either way, you know, whatever. Um. So her son has graduated and. Her ex-husband owns a charter business, so they take people out like chartering sailboats and fishing and things like that, or people that just want to go sailing and things like that. Her son and her daughter both work for him, Um, and she starts to realize that in four years, she has made no life decisions for herself. She works part-time at a little antique store with a her boss and kind of sort of friend who has her own messed up life. Um, and that's really all she does. Um, she has been living off the, um, payments from her husband that she gets in the divorce, but that's not going to last much longer. They're only lasting until, you know, her up to six months after her son graduates, blah, blah, blah. And she hasn't really saved much, And the house costs a lot and blah, blah, blah. And on top of this, her daughter is supposed to be planning a wedding, but is having a hard time locking down, um, you know, decisions and and making plans. Um, She thinks her daughter's too young to be getting married, but they seem to be madly in love. And then so Harlow has kind of her own set of issues going on. She's kind of an entitled brat uh, because she had cancer as a young child and they spoiled her because of that. And Robin's just kind of getting tired of everything. So her aunt Lillian calls her and, you know, really wants her to come visit her in Santa Barbara, California. This begins taking place in Florida. So she wants her to come visit her in California and Robin loves her Aunt Lillian. She lives in this beautiful historical house that's got like secret passageways and staircases that lead to nowhere. And it's full of antiques and pictures and china and just everything. And in Lillian's will, she has set it so that Robin inherits the contents of the house, which includes 15 cats, by the way. Whoa, that's a lot of cats. (laughs) And her late husband's, um, a relative of her late, of Lillian's late husband, will inherit the house. And so um, Lillian has reached out to her late husband's relative. His name is Mason, and he is a retired army guy. And so he finally comes and stays at the house and starts learning about it and his inheritance. And then Robin decides that she is done with all these crazy people in Florida and she is going to California, dadgummit. And so she hops on a plane and she goes to California. And um, she meets Mason and there's some sparks there. And slowly but surely, everybody starts following Robin to California. First her son, then her daughter, then her 
boss slash friend who is um, having an affair with her tennis player flavor of the week. Um, and then her ex-husband with his whatever she is. And Robin's just, you know, not sure why everybody's following her, but maybe it's a good thing because everybody comes to California and decides that things aren't quite as bad as they all seem. And this is just where everybody's going to figure out their issues and how to fix them. So this just turned into such a beautiful story. There is loss in this story, but so much good happens. So many happy things happen and such beautiful family ties. There's so much love in Susan's books. And that's what really brings them all together is that no matter what family is everything, love is everything and love can conquer all. And that's what I love about this book, especially. So if you haven't picked it up yet, I believe it just came out this year, actually. Um, I want to say it came out back in April, if I'm not mistaken, either April, uh, March or April, March or April. Um, so this is the summer getaway by Susan Mallory and you must read it like now, now, now. I feel like you talked about this in a Pix episode, Kristen. I did. I think she did. Yeah. 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 And it looked good to me then too. So I'll Uh, have to put this on my TBR. My first book this evening is It Happened One Summer by Tessa Bailey. And this book is about Piper. And Piper is actually one of the more objectionable heroines I've read about in a while. Like, I'd say for the first probably at least 50% of the book, I wouldn't have minded if she got swept out to sea. (laughs) Piper lives in Los Angeles. She is um, the stepdaughter of, um, I think he's a movie producer. I don't even know. I can't remember. It doesn't really matter, but somebody with money. And so her entire job is being a socialite and being seen at parties. And then sometimes She'll get paid to drink a certain drink or to wear a certain gown. And like, that is what she does. Well, she gets told at the beginning of the book, basically, that she has no substance to her. And this is by a guy that's dumping her at a rooftop party. And so, (laughs) yeah, and their their relationship was the longest she's ever had. And it's lasted for three weeks. Oh, my God. Well, (laughs) Piper decides that she is going to show him that. She is not distraught over their breakup. So she thinks it's going to be a really good idea to break into a hotel after hours and have a party in their rooftop pool area. And Um, this party, yes, this party gets out of hand. There's fireworks. There's like, I mean, it's like, it's chaos. And (laughs) Piper gets arrested for being the ringleader of all this. (laughs) And... She's in her jail cell hopping from foot to foot because she's had six mixed drinks and she really has to pee. And she goes, um, is there a bathroom I can use to the guard? And like, that's just no. right there. That kind of tells you like who this girl is and what privilege she's always had. So she gets back home because her sister Hannah bails her out. 
And she gets back home and her stepfather's like, I have had enough. You are 28 years old. You've done jack all of your 28 life. 28 years old? Yes. <laughs> and that's, and like, she has no idea how much things cost. Like, she just like flashes a credit card and like, she's just somebody that I don't, I cannot relate to in any way, shape or form. No. And so I'm just like, I don't even know. Like her whole life is how to stand and pose yeah, and I wish I had that on Insta. I mean, I wish I could like, wear like <laughs> a fit and flare mini dress like with confidence right? but that's not who I am but anyway I digress her stepfather says to her Piper I'm done indulging you like you have a life of privilege and you do nothing you like have had so much handed to you and what have you done to give back so this oh. is the last time I'm going to smooth over with my lawyers like what's been happening and you are going to go to the town where you were born in Washington state. And, you know, I know that your mother's never talked to you about your father that was a fisherman and died, um, but you're going to go there. He left a bar to you and your sister, and you're going to go there and live in the apartment above the bar for three months. And you're going to think about, you know, basically what you want to do with your life. And then you can come home. Well, of course she's horrified and it gets even worse. So her sister, Hannah, who is sweet and loyal to her core and loves record players and spinning vinyl, which I don't quite understand, but I'm not a musician. And uh, so she's going to go with her and they're going to go to this like little town on the Washington coast. And they're going to just be for three months. And they go to this bar that's actually called No Name. And they go into the apartment and mice are like skittering away. And all they have are like bunk beds and it's just this horrifyingly dingy place. But the person who shows them into the apartment is a fisherman named Brendan. And he decides that this girl won't even last in this town for a night. He's very protective of his town and he leaves her in this mouse infested apartment and laughs and walks away. (laughs) And so of course, Piper sticks And she is going to stay there and she is going to prove everybody wrong. But she's going to, you know, keep thinking about her Instagram life and like how she wants to get back to it. But the longer she's in town, the more people she meets that connects her with her past and with her father that passed away when she was four by drowning um, when he was out um, uh, doing, I don't know what you say, pulling crab pots. I'm, I'm not saying that right, but. Um, And she, she begins meeting more people and learning about her history, about her background, about where she actually came from. And she very slowly begins sort of integrating herself into this town that is as different from LA as it is possible to be. And while all of this is happening, she keeps having these run-ins with hot, hot, surly, broody, hot, hot Brendan. (laughs) And Brendan to me was like the best part of the book. Um, he's what made me be able to keep reading when I thought that I was going to like, I, I just, I don't usually hate romance book heroines this much, but Piper was just so like the antithesis of everything that I understand in my life. So I was having a really hard time making any sort of connection with her character. Um, but as the book progresses, Brendan and Piper begin kind of having romantic feelings about each other. And um, Piper and her sister begin putting down some roots. They begin to kind of fix up the bar. 
And, you know, Piper starts wondering, like, could this be, could this be my life? Like moving forward, do I need to go back to LA? But then there's the siren call of her old life. And she has to make a decision. Where do I see my future? So if you, like me, find the description of Piper to be too obnoxious to be believed, um, <laughs> give her time, give her grace, because all of a sudden, I like almost started crying like at the like very end of the book um, when she was sort of having some epiphanies and things were happening that were kind of rough and kind of like the black moment. Um, and all of a sudden it went from just being a nice read to a really good read for me. And like I said, Brendan kind of stole the show um, for the majority of the book. And uh, it, it was a very enjoyable read about um, Washington in, in August and kind of talks about like sort of the way of life for people who live in these coastal towns where you know, fishing and going out into treacherous seas to get the king crab um, crab pots up during this very small window of time. Like it's a very treacherous way of life that, you know, many people have kind of grown accustomed to and, and, you know, will Piper ever be able to fit into this way of life? So I really enjoyed it. It was, again, it happened one summer by Tessa Bailey. I've heard so many good things about Tessa Bailey, um, but I have not read her yet. She has one book in like a disorderly conduct series that looks really good to Ooh. me. Um, like somebody was was undercover or something, and and I'm oh, was this some I like the one, undercover um, books? Uh, Risking it all was it that? Yes, one? yes. I just put that on my TBR like two weeks ago. Ah, yeah, yes. That one looks very good. Okay, the book that I'm going to talk about is Jude Devereaux's The Summer House. Yay! Oh, I love that book so much. I love it. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> this is one of my most favorite Jude Devereaux books out there. Because the possibilities, imagine. So there are three friends who are about to turn 40. And they all have the same birthday. We have Leslie... Madison and Ellie and they all get the same invitation to go to the same place so they do and they get given a card or an opportunity to redo their to answer their question what if what if Leslie had um, been with had accepted the invitation or pursuit from one of the guys when she went to college so she's given they're all given the choice to change your your past um ellie is a famous writer who in the divorce really got just wiped out by her ex and so she's kind of disillusioned and wonders what if and so they're all given the opportunity to go back in time and see those changes. This is a very amazing read. It's very fun. It's very, it makes you think of the possibilities of what if I could go back and change. Once again, this is The Summer House by Jude Devereaux. 
I have kind of a like sappity story about this book. So right around the time that this was coming out, I was in my first like serious relationship with a woman and we were long distance. I was finishing college. She was living in Texas. And so we decided that we were going to read a book together. And so she would call me on the phone and read to me. And the first book we ever read was The Summer House. Oh, I love that. (laughs) Yes. I love that. (laughs) So my first book tonight is Delilah Green Doesn't Care. (laughs) Bright Falls, book one. This is by Ashley Herring Blake. This is her adult debut. Um, She is known for writing like really lovely YA novels, um, but this is her adult debut. Our heroine, in case you can't figure it out, <laughs> is Delilah Green. So Delilah Green is an artist. Uh, she's a photographer. She's really struggling to make it in the art scene in New York City. She takes these very like niche photos of queer people in the city. And so people aren't, you know, lining up to by her work, but there is enough interest that kind of keeps her like reaching, keeps her thinking that, you know, at some point she's going to make it big. Delilah has a very complicated past. Um, her father died when she was 10 and she was left with her stepmother who really had no interest in raising her and her stepsister Astrid, who is pretty much everything that Delilah could never be. And so these people are not close at all. When Delilah graduated high school, she left Bright Falls, Oregon and went to New York City. She's only come home a handful of times in like the 12 years um, since she graduated. But now Astrid is getting married and Delilah has been kind of guilted into accepting a job as the photographer at Astrid's wedding. And she can't really understand why anyone thinks it's a good idea for her to come back to Bright Falls. Like no one wanted her there when she was there growing up. So why should she come back now? But she's offered $15,000 to take pictures at this wedding. So, you know, you're a struggling artist in New York City. You're going to take the $15,000. So she returns reluctantly to Bright Falls and is, you know, kind of confronted with all the things from her past that were, were terrible for her. One of those things is Astrid and her two best friends that really, like, didn't treat Delilah very well um, when they were all growing up. Like, they weren't cruel to her in some of the ways, like, you would think of, like, you know, someone being bullied or, like, like they didn't, they were just very like indifferent toward her. And even though they were all around the same age, and even though they were aware that she'd lost her father and basically had no one, um, no one really reached out to Delilah out of sort of loyalty to Astrid. So she's there and she sees Claire. Claire is one of Astrid's friends And she's always kind of secretly liked Claire, like wanted to get to know her apart from Astrid and their other friend, Iris. 
And so she decides, like, what what could she do to, like, really piss off Astrid? Because that's kind of Delilah's, like, M.O. She really just is looking for ways to, like, upset Astrid because Astrid is not nice to her. And somehow this is, like, amusing to her to sort of mess with, with Astrid and kind of watch her lose her cool. So she decides that Astrid really wouldn't like it if she like slept with Claire. And so she sets about making this happen. Claire is a single mom. Um, her ex-husband is in the picture, but he's not very responsible. They have a, I think she's 11, um, an 11 year old daughter. And that's pretty much Claire's world. She hasn't really done anything for herself in a long time. And when she sees Delilah and realizes that, you know, they've, they've all grown up and maybe there's something to be gained from like exploring this attraction that she suddenly has to Delilah. But things with this wedding are like a giant mess. Um, Astrid's fiance is very horrible and no one really wants them to get married except Astrid's also very terrible mother. Um, and so it's like this huge like thing about kind of making peace with your past, understanding that like people make mistakes and we don't always know why they make them. Like people don't always treat us well. Sometimes that's their fault. Sometimes that's no one's fault. Sometimes that's our own fault. And we are sort of shown like how people can live through the same situation, but view it in such very different ways. Um, this was a lovely book in every possible way. There's so much like, female empowerment here. Um, there's so much like resilience. Um, Delilah is a difficult character sometimes because she is so closed off, um, so sure that everyone is just waiting to kind of turn their backs on her. And I really liked watching her kind of mellow and understand that like there were people in the world that cared about her and were ready to like wholeheartedly be there for her. Um, I am very excited for the next book in this series, which is coming out in November. And it's actually Astrid's book. Uh, it's called Astrid Parker Doesn't Fail. And I will be like pre-ordering it as soon as I see that it's up for pre-order. But this one is Delilah Green Doesn't Care, Bright Falls, book one by Ashley Herring Blake. And I highly, highly recommend it like for every possible reason you could think of. Especially because that's probably the best title I have seen in 2022. It is a great title. It is. I love it. So... My second book tonight is a very interesting book. And now that I have learned more about the author and plan to read her memoir, um, I think I like this book a little more now than I did when I was reading it. This is Summer on the Bluffs, Oak Bluffs Number 1 by Sunny Hostin. Um. Sonny Hostin is a co-host on The View, which I feel like I should have known, but I did not. And now I do. I only know so, because my grandmother is like in love with The View. 
And well, I, I should have think about it almost every day. And the fact that she reads her own memoir on Audible, which I bought, and I recognize her voice. Um, but I just never put the name with the person when I've heard them on TV. So or heard her heard her on TV. So anyway, um, Summer on the Bluffs. This takes place on Martha's Vineyard. And there is this, this lady, um, her name is Amelia, but her goddaughters call her um, Ama. And um, Ama was married to a guy named Omar. So Ama and Omar. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So the three main characters are Esperanza, who we call Perry, um, Billy, and Olivia. And these three girls, the one thing they have in common is that Ama and Omar took them under their wing as young children and, you know, gave them summers they wouldn't forget on Martha's Vineyard. They paid for them to have the best schooling. Um, They paid their college tuitions, um, all of that, you know, with, without them being their own children and being able to raise them, um, they gave them the best they could because these girls kind of came from broken families. Olivia's father was a cop and her mother was told and Olivia was told that he was killed in the line of duty. And then Billy's mother took off when she was a young child and she never really knew what happened to her and she was primarily raised by her father and Perry had both of her parents but it was kind of a it was an interesting situation to say the least it wasn't very loving and warm um and so they all just kind of came together one by one. They, they came into the fold with Amma and Omar, but Amma has secrets. She has quite a few secrets where, where all three of these girls are concerned, where her late husband is concerned and where present day life is concerned. And she invites her three girls as adults to come and spend the summer with her on Martha's Vineyard because at the end of the summer she is going to give her house her Martha's Vineyard house to one of these girls and she is going to South Africa with her childhood sweetheart oh her her first love before Omar and A lot of things are going to happen. A lot of turmoil is going to come up. Secrets are going to come out. Tantrums are going to be had. Trust is going to be broken. But it's things that have to happen. And this is such a beautiful story, to be honest, of found family for one. Um, there is an actual relation between one of these girls and Amma, but we don't find out until the end of the book. So I'm not going to spoil all of it, but the found family in this and the way the relationship that, that these girls have 
And while their lives are all so different and they've lost touch from when they were growing up, um, the way they come together to support each other and to learn that even though Ama kept secrets from them, that she always loved them the best way she knew how. Um, this also focuses a lot on um, women of color. Um, uh, one of the girls really struggles with herself because her skin is darker than the other two. And she feels that her lighter skin God sisters tend to benefit from what she considers white privilege um, to a point. And so there's, there's some kind of coming to grips with yourself, being happy in your own skin, um, loving yourself, just a lot of beautiful introspective introspectiveness is that the right word here um, I guess yeah um and so I I really thoroughly enjoyed this book and this is book one I believe um book two comes out in June actually and it will be about Olivia um oh. which I can't wait to read oh. because o Olivia is um is the darker skinned sister. And she, she has, a, she still has a lot to work through. Um, so this just the found family, the love, the secrets, the betrayals, it all comes together so beautifully in this book. And so I highly recommend it to anyone and everyone that loves Martha's Vineyard for one thing, like you learn a lot about Martha's Vineyard in this book as well. And, um, it's written modern day. Um, COVID is very much mentioned in this book. It's not lived through, oh. but it is mentioned um, because it, it kind of happens around that time, like right before that time and into that time. Um, so it, it's, it's interesting to see. So this is Summer on the Bluffs, Oak Bluffs number one by Sunny Hostin. This is on my iPad. It's, it's on my TBR. It's on. That board. looks good. <laughs> my next book tonight might be my favorite read thus far in 2022. Oh, oh! I'm talking about Book Lovers by Emily Henry. Of and course you are. All I was going to say. All of my beastrous friends are probably rolling their eyes because I have been like rhapsodizing about this book since I read it at the beginning of the month. And when I found out that we were going to be fitting a summer episode in, I squeed quite loudly and dramatically and right away said, I'm talking about book lovers. And everyone was like, okay, Stacey, like you're odd. Okay. But anyway, <laughs> let me tell you about Nora Stevens. Nora Stevens lives in New York City where she is a literary agent of some renown. She's quite cutthroat. She's very good at getting good deals for her clients. And she is, you know, living the life that she has planned out for herself. In the apartment that she wanted, decorated the way she wanted, in the city that she loves like it is a member of her family. And one day, her younger sister Libby comes to her. She has two children. She's five months pregnant. And she says, 
I know that you don't have to work as many hours in August. Things are a little slower for agents in August. And I want you to come with me to Sunshine Falls, North Carolina, a.k.a. the setting of Libby's favorite book, which is actually by an author that is one of Nora's clients. And Nora's like, oh, but she'll do anything for her her younger sister, Libby, because she loves her so very much and feels like her entire life is about making Libby happy because she's her favorite person. And they arrive in Sunshine Falls, North Carolina to find that things aren't quite as they seem. Oh. And while she is there, she's kind of feeling a little stressed out. Her sister keeps sort of vanishing for hours on end. Things aren't quite as picturesque as she was hoping for. And she keeps running into Charlie Lastra, of all people. Is she running into, like, you know, the, the, the country doctor or the you know the brawny lumberjack no she's running into charlie lastra from new york city who is a book editor that she has had something that is about as opposite from a meat cute with as you can get and you know she's like oh and libby wants her to be a heroine in her own story because Nora always says she's not the plucky one. She's not the sweetheart. She's not the dreamer. She's the, the cutthroat agent. That's who she is. But Libby feels that, you know, she can write her own story. And so she is helping. She has made Nora a bucket list of things to do while she is in Sunshine Falls, North Carolina. And that bucket list absolutely positively does not include encounters with broody, Grumpy Charlie La- Charlie Lastra. But you know, things have a way of not working out in the way that you would think. And the more times that Nora and Charlie meet each other, the more they both kind of realize there's something else about both of their stories that makes them richer and more interesting and makes them more than the people that they first met back in New York City. This is such a lovely book. I don't wanna spoil too much because I think everyone who enjoys books about families, books about like that are love letters to New York City, books about books. Yes. Where they talk about tropes all the time, you know, love between two people who don't necessarily always fit everywhere and don't always fit classic molds this is such a just I don't even have words like I'm stumbling over my words because this book means so much to me and like if I could have given it 10 stars I would have because it spoke to my soul I was like driving home from um, a trip a road trip with my husband in the car trying to pretend like I wasn't like crying into my coffee because I'm kind of a private person. I was like uncomfortable, but it was just such a lovely, lovely book. And just with so many different types of love. And oh, if, if you love books, if you love families, if you love romance, you have to read this. And I know I'm just being gushy and weird. So I'm going to stop now and say, <laughs> please just read Book Lovers by Emily Henry. Please, please. If you only read one sort of romantic book this year, please let it be this one. It is 
the most special thing I have read in a really long time. And now I'm done gushing because I cannot begin to do this book justice without giving too much of the plot away. My guess would be if you're only going to read one romantic book this year, um, you probably don't hang out with us very often. I mean, that's, <laughs> <laughs> that's true. I, a lot of romantic <laughs> books here. My next book that I'm going to talk about is um, Invincible Summer, Wyndham Beach, book one by Mariah Stewart. Um, this came out last year. This was a good book. Um, I can't wait to read the second one. Maggie is, her life is just falling apart. So she decides to go back to her hometown for her, for her class reunion. Oh, and so that's she's never kinda, a good idea. No. So she's kind of, you know, kind of like she wants to go, but at the same time, she doesn't want to deal with she doesn't want in to run into her ex because of whatever issues they had. They left on a bad note. And so Maggie decides to go and she reconnects with her two best friends, Lydia and Emma. And they, of course, get together every week. And they have a, a tradition where they like try different foods when they, when they, meet together on whoever's patio so one week it could be mexican the next you know appetizers or whatever um and she decides while she's there before the reunion to buy her old house she really likes being there and thinks that she can avoid the sheriff which is her ex it doesn't work out that way. As soon as he finds out that she bought her old childhood home that she'd sold after her mother's death, he comes to visit her. Oh. And she, they do not hit it off at first. Um, she's too angry to look at him. She's too angry to talk. And But they eventually, they work it out. And her two daughters are living there. One needs a job and a new life change. And one just comes to visit and ends up staying. And Maggie has to confront her past with her, her ex, who is the sheriff. And this is a really good... It shows the family ties because this, this takes place during the fourth, or near the 4th of July. So it shows that no matter what, family is all. And the, the glue that makes people stick, no matter the secrets that are revealed, that family is all you got, whether they're dysfunctional or not. And I really enjoy this book, and I can't wait to read the next one in the series. This one is called An Invincible Summer, Wyndham Beach, Book One. By Mariah Stewart. I need to read this. It's been a long time since I've read Mariah Stewart. So you know what happens in the summer? That's oh, not I a cool what idea. <laughs> what, Shannon? Hurricanes. 
No, that's yeah. not a good idea. I vote no to hurricanes. <laughs> yes, I vote no to hurricanes too. <laughs> and I moved back to one of the nicest hurricane states. You know? Oh, see, oh, bless your well, heart. <laughs> then I definitely vote no to hurricanes. So I'm talking about The Last Train to Key West oh. by mm. Chanel Clayton. I love this book. Um, yes, I do too. This was her third book. Um, it takes place in 1935 in Key West, obviously. <laughs> and it's set like right at the end of summer. So right like over Labor Day weekend. And this huge hurricane is barreling down on Key West. And so that sort of is this, like the force, not to like make a weird windy pun here, (laughs) but it's like the force that sort of pushes the narrative forward because this whole area is poised waiting for this hurricane. And you know that something very bad is going to happen when the storm hits. Yep. So- We're following three women. Um, There's Helen who works at a diner and is trying to figure out like the best way to leave her abusive husband. There's America who is newly married. Um, Her family lost a lot of money in Cuba. And so the only way that she can kind of salvage anything is to marry this man that she doesn't know very well. So they're, they're just married and she's kind of intrigued by her new husband, but she also is wondering if maybe he's involved in something that's not exactly legal. We also have Elizabeth who has come to Key West looking for some answers about some things that are going on in her family that I'm not going to tell you about because it would spoil, um, a pretty major plot point in in the novel but these three women are all you know at very different points in their lives and they're looking for different things in Key West like Helen is the only one who lives there year round um, the other two have have come there for various reasons and each of them like has so much to learn about themselves but also just about like life and what they can do when things really get terrible. Um, Chanel Clayton does such a great job of bringing not only like Cuban history to life, but parts of American history, even world Mm -hmm. history that like we don't really know about. So one of the things that we focus on here is how soldiers were treated after they came back from World War I. And these like camps that they were kind of put into where they were working on the railroads and doing this um, like very menial work for very little pay. Um, they were owed money from their time in the service for World War I. And many of them were never given this money and they were living in like really deplorable um, squalor. And this is something, you know, that we don't learn about when they tell us about the First World War in school. Um, We don't learn how badly America has treated the people who, like, risk their lives um, to fight wars that, like, many of them don't even understand. So this is a book about about a hurricane, but I think it's it goes a lot deeper than that. And Chanel Clayton is just such a 
gifted writer. So this is The Last Train to Key West by Chanel Clayton. Oh, I love this book. And I am so happy you talked about it. I, uh, I, I've had to make myself, like, I've had to psych myself up to talk about this book. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> because it is so frustrating to me. Oh, dear. But I want to know what happens, so I'm still reading it. And it might take me till next year at this time to finish it, but this is what I know. 28 Summers by Ellen Hildebrand. Oh, I want to read this. No, you don't. (laughs) But yes, you do. (laughs) That doesn't sound like a good endorsement. (laughs) No, you don't. (laughs) So it's confusing because it is a good book, but it's angsty. And it's drawn out. And it's just... It's like, oh my God, where is this going? And why is it taking forever to get there? So this book is about Jake McLeod and Mallory Blessing. And when we first begin the book, we're in 2020. And Mallory is on her deathbed. And she tells her son to call the number in the desk drawer. And so he gets the number out and he calls it. And he doesn't know who he's expecting to answer, but it certainly isn't Jake McLeod. And he tells him why he's calling. And Jake says, tell her I will be there. And then... We get thrown into the summer of 1993, where it all begins. And Mallory has just inherited her aunt's uh, cottage on Nantucket, and she offers to host her brother's bachelor party there. So her brother, Cooper, and two of his friends come to the island for the weekend. It's Labor Day weekend. And one of these friends is Jake McLeod. And him and Mallory fall head over heels for each other. But for some reason, she doesn't want to do long distance because she's done it before. And Jake is still massively tangled up with a girl that he has been supposedly in love with since eighth grade. They've been on again, off again. And it is now 1993 and he just apparently cannot see a life without her, even though he loves Mallory with everything he's got. So they agree to no matter what, no matter who they're with or what's going on in their lives, every year, Labor Day weekend, Jake McLeod will come to Nantucket and spend that weekend with Mallory. And this goes on for decades. And this will tell the story of Jake and Mallory. Jake is married to 
Ursula de Guernsey, who was a very high profile attorney and now is one of the front runners for the presidential election in 2020. And yet he is still caught up on Mallory. And it's just, it's each chapter is about a different year and what's going on in each of their lives in that year. Um, it highlights things that were going on in the world, you know, the, the real world each year in the beginning. And we cycle through from 1993 to 2020. And, um, while this is a very good book, it's, uh, it does take quite a while to get through the whole affair. Um, and so there's a lot of things that I don't want to say are trigger warnings really, but I would say that if you're not okay with cheating or adultery, things of that nature, then this may not be the book for you. Um, but it is a very heartfelt read. You can very much feel the love between Jake and Mallory. Um, but there's just so much that never aligns for them. But overall, I will say the writing is very good. It's definitely a story that you get caught up in. It's kind of like one of those train wrecks that once you start watching it, you can't stop. So I will give it that. It definitely pulls you in and makes you want to know what happens. So this is 28 Summers. And Goodreads has it listed as 28 Summers number one by Ellen Hildebrand. Apparently there's a 1.5 from Jake's point of view um, in 2023. Um, and that came out last year. I did not know about that. So, but this is 28 Summers, 28 Summers Number One by Ellen Hildebrand. She has written so many books. She has. I was just looking at that. She has written a lot of books. And I'm always like intrigued by her stories, um, like by her synopses, but I always feel like I have to be in a certain mood because they like parts of them I've heard are very, very sad. And so I've just never like taken that plunge, although I, I do plan to at some point. So every once in a while, I quite by accident discover an author who ends up filling my heart with ridiculous amounts of joy. And that is what happened last year. I believe it was last year. Um, in another author's fan group, Lucy Score, actually, she does this thing once a month called Tell Me a Story. And you get authors get 24 hours with all these weird prompts to write a story that then is posted in her group. And that is how I discovered L.B. Dunbar. And what drew me to this author from the very beginning is that her books focus on couples who are over 40. And so for me, I, I'm very attracted to that as I I mean, in my heart, I'll forever be like 23, but like I am in actuality <laughs> over 40. So <laughs> um, sometimes I don't always relate to much younger characters like Piper in my first book tonight. 
But anyway, for this episode, I found that she had written a book, and this is Shannon's favorite title. It's called Hauling Ash (laughs) by L.B. Dunbar. This book is about May, and May is kind of going through this moment in her life where she feels as though she sort of lost herself. She has two sons who are um, young adults. One is just uh, finishing high school, has just graduated from high school and is about to start college. The other one is um, playing hockey in college. She's a business owner and she's been divorced for a few years after giving her all to a marriage that unfortunately was not what she hoped it would be. And so May has decided that this summer she is going to drive Route 66, starting in Chicago and ending in California. And during this spirit trip, she is going to rediscover May. She has her playlist ready to go. She has her phone to take selfies ready to go. She is driving in a Prius that she has named Louie. So as she's driving, she can talk to someone on this road trip. (laughs) So she is in Chicago where her sister lives and where her trip will begin. So she is in Chicago with her older sister starting um, where, where her trip will begin in a few days. And the first thing she wants to do is find the original Route 66 starting sign. So she buys a coffee and she goes all out. Usually she just drinks boring coffee, but she decides she's going to buy a mochaccino because that sounds fancy. And so she struts out of this coffee shop with her mochaccino and she's looking for this sign, literally looking for a sign. But what she's not doing as she's looking for this sign with her mochaccino in hand, is looking where she's going. And she splatters her mochaccino all over the expensive suit of a pedestrian when she slams into him. And at first, you know, he kind of calls her sunshine and gets a little flirty. But then, all of a sudden, he, like, shuts down and accuses her of, like, hitting on him and, like, stalks away with his middle finger jabbed behind him. How unpleasant. Her white blouse is covered in mochaccino. And she's just like, wow, what an auspicious beginning. (laughs) So she goes to her sister's office (laughs) and is in the midst of reporting her tale of woe when this man walks in and starts talking about how this crazy woman dumped her coffee on him. (laughs) Because this broody sort of uptight man is her sister Jane's boss. Tucker Ashford, beautiful. who goes by Ash with an E. And Ash needs to get to California for his daughter's wedding. And he refuses to fly. And the car service that he hired to drive him there, because that's who he is. And he wants to work the whole way. So he's not going to drive himself. He wants to be driven. The car service that was supposed to drive him there has just bailed. So Jane, May's sister, thinks... Oh, no big deal. May can drive you. She's going that way. Oh, God. And May's like, WTF. Like, I have my whole trip planned out. A two-week ramble down Route 66. And he has to be there to LA in five days to meet up with his daughter so that they can go to Napa together for her wedding. Well, May can't see a graceful way out of it. And he's going to pay her. So they get in the car together and they take off and she wants to take photos like every, you know, 20 minutes and stop at all these different (laughs) stops. Like 
the huge, the man with the giant wiener dog and like hot dog in his hand and like the man with like the giant tools. And I can't remember what they were, but you know, there was some um, references made to the man and his giant tool. And like, it's just, she's stopping at all these really kitschy places along Route 66. And also as he's sitting in the back seat, so she can chauffeur him, she's singing off key because May <laughs> has created a traveling Route 66 playlist, which PS every chapter begins with a song title from her playlist, which I think is awesome oh. because oh it is God. a kick-ass playlist. So as they drive down Route 66, May and Ash start learning little bits about each other that kind of put their preconceived notions about who the other is to the test. And the farther they travel together, the less combative they are, the less grumpy, grouchy Grinch he is. And the well, more they good. begin, right. And the more they begin to actually appreciate each other and, you know, they kind of learn some of the lessons that they need to learn as they're driving down Route 66. I love this book with every fiber of my being. It made me so happy when I was reading it. The, the pacing is perfect. The traveling across, I love road trips. I mean, I love them. Yes, road trips. And, you know, I, I, love, um, I love road trips on Route 66. I know it's been done before, but, um, you know, it's just, it's something that I really appreciate. I read a bunch of books that were set in the 30s where people were on Route 66. And so like, I've always been kind of interested in that. Um, and I just love the way that two very disparate people learn how to communicate with each other, understand each other, and how to appreciate what makes them both such special and unique people. And this was just a really lovely book. So if you want to read about road trips and people over 40 who are still able to have a banging good time <laughs> with just the right amount of like kind of, you know, past baggage to keep the book interesting. So it's not too frothy and just moments that kind of tear you up and moments that make you laugh. Please, please pick up Hauling Ash by LB Dunbar. This is the first book I have read by her, but it will not be the last. Like I really, really liked this author's writing style and her way of telling a story. I'm glad it works out because I was going to say in the beginning that his ash would be walking if that was <laughs> um, I don't deal oh. with entitlement very well. He acted like a bit of an asshole in the beginning. I'm not yes, going to lie. <laughs> but I want to read this now. So yeah, It's delightful. Too. The narration is great. Um, all the music references are amazing. And the, the playlist is really eclectic. This book is called Plymouth Undercover by Pamela M. Kelly. And this is about a woman who is a failed actress. Oh. Her father dies and leaves her and her mother, which is his ex, his detective agency. So they inherit this detective agency and their one employee is an 80-year-old ex-detective named Mick. Mm. So Emma, which is the, the daughter, and Cindy, which is you know, the, the mother and his ex, 
learn, they want to just take simple cases, cheating spouses, you know, custody battles, some, you know, nothing where it has to, since they know nothing about being a detective. No murder. Or murder. <laughs> but Mick decides, Mickey decides that they should take on this one case where the woman is missing. Um. <laughs> Even though he says, well, you know, I can show you the ropes and Emma is like, but you're 80. That was the best line in the book. But you're 80. You can't do car chases and you can't run around. And um, he, uh, you know, he talks them into it. And so they decide to look for this woman who has been missing for about a month. The, the cops have no leads. And while they're looking into this, she has a cottage on the beach and runs into a guy she used to hang out in high school. They were friends. They never dated, but she was kind of attracted to him. And it's um, interesting the way that um, Pamela Kelly does this because she goes back and forth. Is he a killer? Is he someone I could date? And um, so it, this is a really, really good book. It's a very, there's nothing too graphic in here. It's very, it's very light read, perfect for summer reading. There's no um, graphics of dead bodies or, or anything like that. It's a really fun read. I read it within a couple of hours. And this is called Plymouth Undercover by Pamela M. Kelly. Perfect. So my last book tonight takes us to Provincetown. And this is Summer Longing by Jamie Brenner. Now, before I get into this, I have to say that there's an element to this book that really frustrated me when I read it. And I really had to like suspend my disbelief and just sort of go with it because all through certain parts of this, I was like, who, who thinks like this? Like, why are people doing this? Like, this doesn't make sense. People shouldn't act like this. And it was like really, really bothering me. But the story itself is, is so good that I was able to, you know, eventually um, overcome that and let that be. So Jamie Brenner, I think, does such a remarkable job of bringing Provincetown to life. And as a lesbian, you know, I'm, I'm kind of about Provincetown. I've never been there, but it seems like it's like the gay capital of the world. So I think um, it's a great place to, to visit in books. So we start out with Ruth and Ruth is getting ready to retire. She's been part of this company for quite a while and she's kind of sacrificed everything like on the altar of this job. She doesn't have a good relationship with her children. Um, her ex-husband is like really fed up with her. And so now she's going to retire and she's adrift. She doesn't know how she's going to function without this job to go to. So she rents a cottage in Provincetown and she decides that she's going to like take the summer and figure out her next steps. She also hopes that she can invite her two children um, to come out as well and maybe like mend some fences, but she's not sure how this is going to go. 
So a couple days after she arrives in Provincetown, someone leaves a baby Ooh. on the front steps of this cottage so that she's renting. Yeah. I don't like this. <laughs> no. So so this baby's there and like Ruth is just like, oh my gosh, like, you know, how, how does this happen? Like, what do I do? So she reaches out to a lesbian couple who are nearby and they are Elise and Fern. And she reached out to them for help. Now, Elise has wanted to be a mother. Like it's sort of her, her life's ambition. Um, but for reasons that you don't fully understand right away, she's kind of left that behind. Like there's a part of her that is still, you know, longing for that, but she feels like it's not going to happen. So she takes this baby into her home and she convinces Fern to let her keep this child for like at first oh. it's just a night and then it gets like a little longer and a little longer and a little longer and Fern is like no 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 like this this is not good you know we have to call the police like obviously this is someone's child and they've abandoned it like we need to know you know whose child this is and like we have to go through official channels and you can't just like keep keep a baby like it's it's not a puppy <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, that's so true. Fern is, I think, like my favorite um, when it comes to this, because so many people like Elise is telling people, you know, oh, you know, I know that I should like, you know, call the police. I know we have to like figure out what's happening. Everybody's like, oh, well, there's time for that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, nobody's like doing anything about it. And I'm like, what the what? hell? <laughs> no like this isn't what you should do uh so that part of it like did kind of bother me because I'm like no like you don't people can't just like keep babies that they find like you just can't (laughs) do it (laughs) (laughs) right I had a hard time scared that they're gonna take it away from her and I I think that's true doesn't want that but yet but yet you can't I mean no I mean it's still wrong but like (laughs) that fear Yes, I is think keeping her from that, doing the right thing. I think the thing that bothered me about it was not so much that she like thought it was a good idea, but that, that other like, people, right? That people are just like, oh yeah, blah, like it's fine. <laughs> um, and so this is kind of a a multi layered story because you know we're following Ruth and we're watching her sort of figure out who she is without this job to go to. We're watching her try to make amends with her children who she really didn't treat very well. Um, You know, she was a a pretty absent mother and they rightly so have a lot of resentment that they've harbored, you know, for a lot of years. Um, And then we have the relationship between Fern and Elise. And we learn about like the reasons that Elise feels that you know she's never going to become a mother and why finding this child ends up being like such a such a catalyst for her um we also are introduced to a woman who lost a child like years before and so she's able to kind of you know talk with these women about about grief and understanding like the depths of your emotions and how it's not good to just you know, push things aside, like you have to, you have to feel the uncomfortable emotions. And so although 
I was frustrated by some of the ideas that people had and just like the actions that people took that didn't make sense to my overly logical brain. Um, I did really enjoy this sort of look at, you know, taking a summer and learning all kinds of things about yourself, about the person that you hope to become. Um, and then, of course, really understanding family and the relationships that we form with those around us, uh, either those that we're, you know, related to by blood or drawn to by choice. Um, Jamie Brenner is such a good writer. I first read um, The Husband Hour um, in like 2017. And since then, um, I've kept an eye on things that she's written things that she's written. And I just I really enjoy her a lot. So if you're looking for a good like summer beach read, if you're not as logical as I am and you don't <laughs> always want people to, you know, act in ways that make sense. Um, I think you'll really enjoy this. It's Summer Longing by Jamie Brenner. So this concludes our episode on books set in the summer. Before too long, if you're in the Northern Hemisphere, you'll be living in the summer. Until then, maybe you can just read lots of books about the summer and, and you know, wish the weather was warmer. Thank you to Georgina, to Kristen, and to Stacey for joining me tonight. Thanks, as always, goes out to Christine for all of her fantastic editing. And of course, we thank each and every one of you for joining us each week as we talk about great books and other things, too. If you would like to leave us a rating or a review, you can do that on Apple Podcasts or any other platform that you use to access the show. Not only does it tell us what you think, but it also helps other people find us when they're looking for book-related podcasts. Um, it kind of advances us in the Google algorithm. So I will be back next Tuesday morning with an author interview and, of course, the guide to new releases. And some number of us will be back on Friday with more bookish greatness. Take care, everybody. Mm-hmm.